This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. How would you rate your well-being on a scale of 1 to 10? In the last 19 months, everything changed. The office changed, technology changed, priorities changed, people changed, and our well-being changed. Burnout, exhaustion, distraction. In Japan, there's a word called karoshi. It means death at your desk from stress. This is a fate we must avoid at all costs. Today, I'm excited to meet Dr. Stephen McGregor. He's the CEO of the Leadership Academy of Barcelona and author of a great new book, The Daily Reset, 366 nudges to move your life forward. It's out on December the 6th, by the way. In a world of speed and pressure, we'll be unpacking some of the best hacks, facts and stories to elevate your well-being now. Stephen, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Terence, thanks for the invitation. Lovely to talk to you. Nah, it's fantastic. Um, now, we're going to dive straight into some really big themes today because we, we, we both know that the last 19 months, so much has changed. People changed, priorities changed, the office changed, technology changed, and our well-being changed. The opportunity is there, right? I mean, I think our well-being is something that is never something that we finish. We never go over the finish line. We never have the solution. Mm. Um, and I like to think of the pandemic as being an opportunity for us all to just think about it a little bit more seriously, right? I think we all know that it's been there, but it often gets pushed to the margins in our busy lives. Yes. But I think the pandemic has forced us to kind of stop and think. Mm. And I think that's an opportunity for us all. I was reading recently some big stats coming out. So, you know, it's a risk of burnout up, exhaustion, mental exhaustion, uh, Zoom fatigue or meeting fatigue, distractions. Tell me more about your Sustaining Executive Performance Programme or SEP, because that sounds so timely and relevant for our listeners. Yeah, so that, that was the start of the journey in, in many ways. You know, my, the, my own journey in well-being has been almost 20 years. So the new book that I have coming out in a couple of months is actually a celebration of that, of that 20-year journey. And sustaining executive performance was the kind of first serious attempt at bringing that into organisations. Mm. And even the words that, that I used, right, so it was, it was performance because I didn't think that I had the permission to use the word well-being. Because, <laughs> yes. you know, you talk to executives or organisations of well-being at that time, mm. you know, hopefully it's changing as I said, the opportunity of the pandemic. Mm. But at that time, it was just perceived as a, as a compromise on on get, getting work done. And, yes. and so no one was taking me seriously. So mm. that was an opportunity to really say, well, actually, if you think about health and well-being in these different dimensions, mm. you'll be a thinker, you'll be more inspiring for your team, you'll have more energy, mm. and who wouldn't want that, right? So mm. that's the business case that is right there. Mm. Um, and I use the word sustaining because I was doing yes. a lot of research yes. in corporate social responsibility at the time, mm. and, and I felt that many organizations it, it took the performance lens too far mm. so you've got a lot of peak performance um you know uh, organizations and, and and approaches and i felt that was also squeezing people and, and a lot of the yes. research also shows you talked about burnout yes. you know highly engaged yes. people are also you know, uh, I, a risk of burnout, right? I so saw that. that. So I, I, there was a really, um, for our listeners' benefit here, there's a great reference point, a Gallup, uh, a Gallup research, some, I think it's called the performance paradox, where the, the productivity had gone up, but the well-being had gone down, this kind of decoupling. Yeah, and, and exactly. So you need that sustainability, right? If you think, you know, 
you can go hard at, at work for a period of time and, and maybe a lot of organisations take advantage of some of the younger um, part of the workforce for that, right? But, yes. you know, yes. a, energy is a, is a precious resource. So a lot of the peak performance area was fueled by the corporate athlete methodology, which is highly useful. And, you know, they took it too far, but the corporate athlete, at the end of the day, it says, look, manage your energy and energy you have to take care of that because sometimes when it goes there's no guarantee of getting that back Terence, you know? do you do you think that uh ceos need to update their language in a way because when i'm speaking to ceos you know the focus it's it's velocity it's speed it's urgency it's burning platforms it seems to me like it's language which is pressure or stress induced and i'm wondering yeah. and this is this we know that it's important but there's a price to to pay if it's uh, you know speed at any cost for example or urgency at any cost and I'm I'm wondering from your uh, research your consultancy what are your thoughts on the sort of the language that CEOs use the context the narratives they play with yeah I mean you're right uh, even listening to those words I was feeling a little bit of stress <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit of anxiety yeah. I, I think it is changing and I think I'm a huge believer in the power of language even if you think on you know words that we've used over the years in terms of leveraging uh you know as if it was a mechanistic view of the world as if we were machines but we're changing and, and I know even in your own work and how leadership has to view the workplace more as an ecosystem rather yes. than an ecosystem. Yes. Many yes. many factors in play, diversity on boards, you know, uh, more women in leadership positions that's changing that language. And even just to give you a very quick example yes. on actually how CEOs approach health is that they'll take a sabbatical and they'll do an Ironman, right? Or they'll do six marathons in six days, right? And it's all <laughs> that high competition, you know, it's, alpha typology approach. And so well, at the end of the I, I day, just, you I, end up, you're exhausted, right? I, I, I mean, you um, you triggered um, something for me because I, I, I spoke with a, a billionaire entrepreneur recently and um, he's, he lives in uh, Austria and you know, I said, what have you been doing for the last couple of months? And it was like, oh, I went to Everest and I've been to Antarctica. And it was all of these kind of extreme sports, which, again, like you say, it's, it sounds stressful to me. Yeah. And look, kudos to, to these guys. And, and, and look, I'm not, you know, I, I like to challenge myself and push myself. But what we're looking at here in both sustained executive performance and, and, and just mainstreaming well-being yes. is how yes. does that work? on a day-to-day -day basis yes and yes. and and even a quote from brendan foster right you know an olympian uh, legend of, of of british distance running and he was interviewed several years ago and he said hey brendan what does it feel like to be an olympian you know expecting him to say you know i feel like superman and he just said hey i'm just tired i'm just tired all the time right oh. and if you take take it to the extreme in oh. any dimension you know, you don't you lose that balance, you lose that holistic approach, and that's what we need, I think, for mainstreaming. This segues really nicely because I know you've got a great new book coming out, um, The Daily Reset: Three Hundred and Sixty Six Nudges to Move Your Life Forward. It's out on December the sixth this year. Tell me more about the mandate of this book, and, and give me some of the examples as well of these of these uh, fantastic nudges. So, uh, you know, looking into that day to day um, action, you know, I just felt that 
our lives, we often live our personal life and our, and our professional lives with a huge effort mm. every now and then. Yes. But with all of the work that we've done in behaviour change the past several years, it's what you do every day matters more, much more yes. than what you do every now and then. So basically from my background in design thinking and my personal experience in the pandemic, when I wake up in the morning, you know, life is pretty stressful, but I have a cup of coffee mm. um, and I read the Daily Stoic from Ryan Holiday and oh, Stephen yes, uh, Hanselman. Right. And it was a daily anchor. And I just felt, you know, I could do this for well-being, mm. uh, atomize everything that I know from 20 years mm. and just give people that guidance on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Yes, I love that. And, and, and in terms of an example of a, you're thinking about where, you know, people everywhere going through this sort of uh, extreme liminality at the moment, one foot in a previous pre-pandemic world, one foot in a new, exciting, but also a knowable, turbulent world. What's an example of a, a hack to help people kind of focus on focus? Yeah, so exactly. You know, people I felt were, are stuck, right? They're, they're in a kind of limbo. Um, they're not quite kind of sure how they get forward. So that was the idea for the subtitle there to, to, to kind of move our lives forward, right? Um, and, and there's signs of a less restricted world. Yes. So each month of the year has has a different theme, Terence. Um, so actually, uh, you know, October has resilience. It links with World Mental Health Day. It falls in October. Yes. November's leadership. Yes. December's community. We've got sleep. We've got mindfulness. We've got nutrition. We've got exercise. All these things that we need uh, in our lives mm. as both a leader, but just as a human being, right? Yes. Um, and they are hacks, so they are personal stories, they are pieces of research, they're scientific facts, mm. they're cases from uh, companies that we've worked with, mm. and, and they're just enough to encourage people to action, right? So maybe there's a bit of interpretation there yes. one day, maybe it's a question that you need to answer yes. and I want people to engage I want people to write so this in is the daily book. engagement it's, it, 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 this is not a kind of passive exercise of just because I think one of my frustrations is the kind of knowing doing gap we know more and more about leadership and, and management and, and, and well-being and, but it doesn't translate into, into, into that decisive action yeah and you, and you learn by doing right yes. you learn by experimentation you learn by failure mm. so every page has a bit a space Great. for people to write in the book so it's also a journal it's also a diary and then implement and then maybe hey they think hey this didn't work for me i'm going to throw that one out right you're going to but you get 366 options to put in your own case mm. to to move your life forward in these dimensions and if if there is a a CEO or somebody from the C-suite, somebody re responsible driving that sustainable um, executive and organizational health in their organization, whether that's a startup or a, a FTSE 100, if, if they're looking to uh, initiate a sort of um, healthy human systems program, prioritizing well-being alongside you know, growth and speed and profitability, what, what would be some practical tips or steps that uh you know our listeners need to be thinking about if they're looking to scale a sort of a really um a scalable well-being program yeah so i think culture is hugely important right you know policy policy is is, is important but you, you got to think about how are people behaving within the organization yes. so if there is a senior person if it's a ceo or, or if it's the board that wants to, you know, drive that 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 
that approach, and, and it might be a programme, they have to think of their own behaviour first, right? Yes. Because everyone's going to look at them. So role modelling, hugely important. We all know this. But often it comes, you know, when it comes to the to the to the details when the pressure is on, then that that can be easily forgotten. So yeah. there has to be a champion there, and that champion, you know, you can support that in different ways. So there could be a recruitment drive in terms of, you know, maybe it's the chief HR officer, chief chief people officer, or you bring in a chief wellbeing officer, let's yes. say, which was the title of my last book, and that gives that visibility, right, and yeah. it shows people that hey, we're serious about that. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's the role modelling. How do the real senior people within the organisation? How do they behave, mm. especially when the pressure's on? Mm. It's such an interesting topic, and I, I wanted to dive into uh, a couple of themes which I think uh, are so relevant right now. So uh, Andrew Hill, a writer at the Financial Times, he, he published an article recently and it was titled Why Pursuing Your Dream Job uh, Could Be a Recipe for Burnout. And he talks about the passion tax, this idea that often when we're really passionate and engaged, there is sometimes a, a debt to be paid on that. And I was wondering, what, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Because we're often told to, you know, pursue our passion, and I, I, I think it's important to do that. But it's true; it's, there is a passion tax to be paid. And uh, w what are your thoughts and reactions to that? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, passion is an element, and, and we actually have a nudge on passion yes. because it's a hugely important source of energy. Mm. But it's one of thirty nudges that's in the month of April for energy. And the big thing about energy is that there's, there has to be an off time as well. Yes. So what we've tried to do in this book is 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 address the balance, and it's not just workplace well-being. It's not just passion for your career or for your job mm. it's, it's passion for life yes Terence, right yes. and and at the end of the day you know and that that passion could be manifested in different uh, areas it could be family time it could be off time it could be lying on the beach it yes. could be atop yes. a mountain it could be reading a book and it comes back to probably what i think is the greatest question in, in human history mm. which is what is a good life and it comes down yes. to that aspect yes. of human flourishing that Aristotle and Confucius and all these great thinkers trying mm. to answer mm. and we're still trying to answer today mm. and if you just go for passion in terms of your career then, then you lose that holistic view yes. on, on what is in your life right and, and there's other aspects as well even the skills that you build up mm. you know how can you deploy your skills mm. in different parts of your life mm. you know deploy it within the organization of course for your career but deploy these same high skills right mm. that add value with your family, right? With mm. with your community, with 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 your sports club, with different parts of your life. Yes. No, I, I love that, and um, I wanted to ask you: Do you have a passion for push-ups? I, I read one of your <laughs> <laughs> I read one of your tweets that you've uh, you've completed over eight hundred eighty-seven days of consecutive push-ups. Tell me more about that. So you know, we do a lot in uh, in behaviour change, and, yes. and and I say every time to my clients, look, I just don't talk of about this from a distance. I you know, I experiment, I do all these things myself. Yes. So it was first of May, twenty nineteen. Um, you know, the, the motivation was a, it was a couple of different things. You know, I'm getting older, I'm getting in my 40s. We actually start to lose lean muscle mass from the age of 35. Yes. And one of the key markers of longevity and, and health in later life is retaining a lot of that muscle mass, right? Yes. Didn't have much time to go to circuit classes, so I thought I can do push-ups, but I'm crap. I'm really terrible <laughs> at push-ups. Or I was, no, right? I was going to say, you must be better. pretty good at it now. Yeah. yeah, a couple of years later. So I did... Couple of different things. Accountability. I did it with my brother. Yes. I did twenty. Yes. Uh, first of May. I I WhatsApped him. He did the same. Each day we progressively put two. 
you get to the end of a month of 31 days at least and you do 80, which is mm. really hard. Yes. And I would have to break it up at the beginning. Mm. But after just a year or two, um, I got there. And now I can do maybe 80, 90, 100, just just like that, right? And and, and it's the power of the streak. And, and every day, yes. you know, most yes. days, I thought, no, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. It was the power of the streak that kept me going. Yes. Funny that you bring it up because... <laughs> Yes. Because it just stopped. It just stopped. Um, mm. I think last week, yes. I fell off my skateboard. Oh, no. I thought I broke my elbow. Oh, God. And I just wasn't able to, to do a push-up without without breaking my elbow. You did it with one thumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was... I was thinking about it. Some, one of my friends sent me a, a, a meme on, on Twitter and he said, no excuses. And it was some dude doing it with one hand, oh. but I was nowhere near that. Anyway, it, it, the moral of the story, yes. I think, Terence, is that you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't become a slave to these things. You, yes. you keep the power of it. Mm. But Ron Hill, another mm. legendary British distance runner, mm. he had a running streak for 40 years gosh and at the end he was keeping that streak going even though he had probably he felt himself that he'd suffered minor heart attacks mm. because he was driven by that streak so there has to be a line where you think no this isn't good for me i didn't want to break my elbow mm. and i stopped doing it and that was it but i'm very grateful for the two years two and a half year streak that i had mm. i'll try something else now I, i've made a mental note that um when we meet in barcelona i'm not going to challenge you to a, a push-up competition <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you. I, I love the fact that you 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 have you know you wear these different hats. So I understand that one of your hats is um, professor at Glasgow School of Art, and I wanted to ask you what's the connection between creativity and well-being because. I, I love painters, for example. I've always observed that lots of famous painters, they all, they all seem, a lot of them seem to smoke or they smoke, a lot of them dead now, but they smoked, they drank, <laughs> they lived, but they lived to 95 as well. If you look at Freud or um, uh, Lucian Freud or, or, or Picasso or many, you know, many of them, they, they seem to have this longevity, this, uh, this Finnish word, sisu, resilience, bounce back. And I wanted to get a sense of, is there is there a clear connection between between creativity, well being, and and longevity and resilience? It's interesting, you know. I think you know, and, and even coming back to you talked about Andrew Hill's um, article on on passion. Yes. Sometimes it becomes all consuming. Yes. Um, but what it does it does give you is that immense drive, and and maybe by by normal measures. You wouldn't, you know, view someone as a healthy, but they have a huge drive and a huge degree of purpose, right? Yes. And, and purpose is incredibly important for us all. Mm. You know, if you look at people when they retire, sometimes they lose purpose and they, they come in a depression. Sometimes, you know, often people die after mm. retiring, right? You get a lot of this happening yes. um, with with sports people and sports careers as well. Mm. But I think when you engage in your creativity, you get into something, you know, that flow channel yes. that we know yes. that drives high performance from Chiksen Mohai. Mm. Um, and, and, and sometimes it just drives that immersion in life. Yes. You know, so coming back to that flourishing state of life. And of mm. course, right, you're going to go to the extremes by conventional measures. Maybe it's not for everyone. Mm. But I think when we engage in our creative side, we mm. can feed that that human development. Mm. And, that, and that human development is about 
our, you know, our life journey changes. Mm. And I think that feeds that well-being. So a lot of the work that we're doing, Glasgow School of Art, mm. is looking at how can we use design thinking, creativity, to just raise people's well-being up and there's different avenues that, that we're looking at that for and that's that, that you know that really resonates with me and i know just a simple hack that i use is yeah, even just thought you know the um i think it's called the artist's way you know you know go, you know, go walk you know, go for a walk and you know forest bathing and um you know so you get into these different meditative or creative spaces and i think it's so important for our listeners to ask themselves you know when's the last time they actually got out of the building got off zoom uh and re, re you know re reflected and refueled reconnected with themselves because everything's so everything is accelerating and it's so easy to always be you know that always be on cultures of immediacy and so you know having a no strategy and protecting well-being protecting your attention it's something that needs to be explicit isn't it yeah we, we need that space mm. um we we need that that mindfulness in our life and and often when we get so busy and, and look it might be high performance but that high performance you're, you're also an autopilot Yes. And sometimes you need to get off that hamster wheel now and again, yes. and you need to reset. And you think, okay, right, I'm, I'm doing things well, but are they the right things? Mm. And and as you say, it's maybe getting outside. It's the power of nature. It's the power of the pause. Mm. Uh, it, it's the power of walking. You know, research has supported time and time again to back up, you know, historical cases that yes. your best thinking happens when you move. Your best mm. thinking happens when you're walking, right? Mm. It, it, Paul Polman has just um, published a great book called Net Positive, and it's all about scaling sustainable futures. And a key message is the the power of unlearning, so letting go or eliminating old ways of doing things. And I wanted to get your your sense and tap onto your insights and experience. You know, when you know HR directors, uh, chief wellbeing officers, CEOs are listening to our conversation today, what are, what are one or two of the big things that they should be thinking about unlearning to scale, you know, healthy, uh, inclusive, uh, sustainable futures that elevate what makes us more human, not just focusing on um, shareholder value. Yeah, I mean, even there, that last point there is, you know, it's considering, you know, what is the long term gain here? Yes. I think for many years, we, we focused on shareholders and, and, and you know, I, I, I looked at some of Paul Pullman's work in, in Unilever and Sustaining Executive Performance in that book and his, you know, the, the, the huge pressure that he was under to, to have those quarter learning reports and he tried to kind of, you know, come back from that. Yes. And even the fact yes. of just trying to look at six months or 12 months earnings, right? Mm. And, and obviously we're getting cases, you know, Mark Benioff and Salesforce and trying to look at, okay, let's think more about stakeholders. Mm. And it's just thinking... You know what is the longer term gain even if you look at a personal level and a lot of studies on happiness mm. it's not about moment to moment or day-to-day -day joy mm. you know often it's about life satisfaction and we can look back on times in our life mm. and maybe some listeners are maybe thinking back over the past 18 19 months in terms of the pandemic mm. you know times at the moment it seemed this is really difficult moment a difficult mm. time you don't feel that that's really positive for your well-being yes. you look back and you think wow that that was a pivotal moment. I feel that I that I I transformed. Mm. I developed, mm. and and so it's that logic, it's that mindset yes. 
Yes. But how can we bring that into the organisation? So it's mm. not just the kind of the, the sprints that we're doing on a weekly basis. Mm. What are the things that we are measuring? Right? Mm. How can we change the kind of metrics? It's more about learning. It's mm. more about you know, is there is there something in a pulse survey that actually yes. you can yes. dig into how people are more engaged but not burning out, and you've mm. got that balance there. I don't know. Some thoughts there, anyway. Some really good. Some really good points there. And are there any sort of companies that come to mind right now? Um, as we as we you know um, navigate through the pandemic and deal with uh, you know massive levels of uncertainty and complexity, are there any organisations that you're uh, working with around the world or aware of that really you think are in the vanguard, leading the way in terms of you know creating cultures of uh, you know cultures of well being? It's a tough one. It's, it's come up, you know. Year after year, I don't quite have mm. that that answer. I mean, what yes. what I tend to do is cherry pick dimensions yes. from yes. a lot of the companies that we work with, right? So, so mentioning Salesforce, I think they they have a real drive there in that positive culture. So they have that Ohana mm. that has a deep sense of belonging for people. But you better believe you're going to work a thousand miles an hour in that organization. And it's very hard. And for some people, it's like a couple of years and, and that's enough. Mm. You know, that sales pressure. Yes. But Lohana is there. You've got companies like Telefonica, but I think Jose Maria Alvarez Payete is a tremendous leader. Yes. Who, who has got great alignment about who he is as a, as a, as a person. He really believes in what he's doing. Mm. So leadership there. Yes. You know, Santander, yes. Uh, I think in terms of ambition, in terms of their wellbeing program, yes. I think they'll be the first to know that they're still trying to crack the code on it. Yes. But for several years now, they've tried to push that out to over 200,000 people, right? Mm. So I think different companies have different elements, different yes. pieces of the puzzle. But I think we're all still working towards what is the answer, right? I think it'd be really interesting to have some type of, you know, for, you know, Glo uh, Gallup's famous for its, um, you know, annual engagement surveys and different different types of indexes, and it would be really interesting to have like a global well-being index of companies. Uh, rated by individual, rate, rated by the people inside those companies to get a sense of, you know, who who are the um, the, the leaders and innovators in that space. Yeah, I think like yeah, like a glass door type yes. thing. That that would be great. I mean, with Chief Wellbeing Officer, which is you know the name of the, my 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 own podcast as yes. well. We we looked over the last few years at some sort some sort of certification and you know. We had a few ideas, but but we never quite go over the line. I, you know, I think a lot of it is we're still evolving in terms of the science of well-being, yes. particularly the science of workplace well-being. Mm. And I think even just in the last couple of years, we've evolved so much, right? And mm. even the different models that are coming up, you know, different organisations looking at different aspects of well-being. It's mm. just much more mature than it was even just three or four years ago, and that's a positive sign. I would, you know, you've been living in in Barcelona for a, a long time now, over well, nearly twenty years, I think, and I. I the question I had is, do you find as well that different cultures, as in uh, a country culture, have a different perspective on well-being? Because often we we automatically uh, impose or embrace or think about a sort of Anglo-Saxon interpretation of of, of uh, well-being and and, uh, and you know capitalism and and, and yeah. so on. And I was wondering, from your experience of living in different countries and obviously living in Spain. How does it? How does well-being work there compared to other countries that you've spent time in? 
It's interesting. I mean, and as you can hear, parents after twenty years in, in Spain, I said I, you've got I, a really thick you know, Spanish accent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely lost my Scottish accent. Anyway, <laughs> no, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I had this question last week on on another interview, and um, mm. the, the, to a degree, yes. Um, you know, I think Southern Europe, you know, particularly Italy, you know, you have a connection there and, and I yes. love going there on vacation. It's, you know, it's that deeper enjoyment of life, perhaps, you know, the Dolce Vita and just, yes. and, and I love that. And that's why I love going there on vacation. It's really that, that real immersion and a celebration of life. Mm. And I think if you look at the US, mm. um, you know, a lot of people famously don't take all their vacation allotment during the year. And it's mm. a lot about that progress in life and the proxy of that is mm. is often material wealth you know yes. big generalizations here of course yes. right but there are there are some of these patterns you go to asia you get famously young kids that are just driven by that ambition to just mm. get ahead you know singapore uh, uh other areas in, in china uh, in asia china being an example as well mm. um india as well so there's certainly country level um similarities in, mm. in terms of that culture and that approach to well-being mm. i think another interesting dimension mm. is the generational culture yes right? and i and i think um thankfully that you know there is a pressure from from the young generation uh for, for them to get ahead and mm. how can they fit uh, yes. That aspect of fit everything in their life. Mm. I do think they take that one life to live, mm. you know, much more seriously. Yes. They're much less likely, I think, across mm. the world, the younger generation, to just damage themselves within mm. the pursuit of the workplace and to punish themselves for an employer. Yes. And I think that's another positive trend. It's, 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 again, it's a really powerful point and, uh, you know, we could, we definitely could need to do a, a follow-up conversation, you know, just in terms of the attention extraction economy and the dark side of social media and the impact of that on, on well-being, especially the younger generations. Like you say, I think I, I read a UN report recently that one in five uh, 15 to 24-year-olds are are depressed all the time. And I mean, that's just a, a, a terribly sad indictment of, 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 of some of the, the, the big blind spots in uh, our cultures right now. Yeah, I mean, big tech is following mm. big sugar, big tobacco, yes. right? Um, and, and, and about time, you know, huge advantages, of course, the mm. last 10, 20 years, but I think it's evolving. Is it fast enough? Not yet, but there is a greater degree of sophistication yes. in technology to make it more human, mm. but I think it needs to go faster. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Stephen, really loved our conversation today. Where do our listeners connect with you, follow your work, um, yeah, including your, your podcast, your websites, your books? Can you share some resources? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I tag on the doctor that, that several years ago, just within this soft mm. domain of well-being, I felt it was a bit a harder edge that was required at the time, yes. and that's just yes. stuck. So I'm Dr. Stephen McGregor yes. Um, yes. on different social channels, and the website of the book um, is dailyreset.me.me. Yes. And, and and from those two, I think that would be that would be enough. If, if people wanted to find me, I'm sure they could. And a sort of final call to action today for our listeners. If there was you know one call to action for this month to elevate um, well-being as a strategic concern, or you know really put it into work, put it to work. What would be uh, your final call to action for our listeners? Yeah, I think it's just moving to action, right, and recognizing that it doesn't need to be a huge epiphany in one's life. 
but it could just be a gentle nudge, a gentle suggestion, but just do one thing. Do one thing for you, and that could be anything that that just gives you joy, elevates your well-being. It's, you know, maybe you learn something new, maybe you have an extra half an hour's kip one mm. morning, whatever it is. But do, I like the sound of that one. <laughs> do one thing for yourself. Yes. And then do it again tomorrow and just keep going like that. I love that. Dr. Stephen McGregor, CEO of the Leadership Academy of Barcelona and author of a great new book out on the 6th of December, The Daily Reset. Thank you for your time. Pleasure, Terence. Fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Today's energizing conversation with Dr. Stephen McGregor showed me that it's time to elevate what makes us more human. And that starts with well-being physical, emotional, ethical, cognitive. Stephen's well-being principles can help all of us to move from talk to action and knowing to doing. It's about living a more sustainable, inclusive, happy and healthy life. Let's get started. <music>